Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Hafnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Monmouth Moms podcast, part of the Monmouth Moms Network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Monmouth Moms podcast. We are in um, full fall swing right now in October here at Bellworks in Homedale on another dreary, rainy day. <laughs> it's like the common theme of 2023. I feel like all I do is complain about the weather, but it really does. Like it's very, it gets you down a little bit, like this constant cloudiness. So I'm really hoping that like the rest of fall and you know, maybe even November is like a little bit more bright. Um, it's been a lot of rain. So um, we are busy getting ready for our fall festival, which is very exciting. And let's also hope that it's very si uh, sunny that day on Sunday, October 22nd. Super excited about that. Um, have a lot of fun things planned. So stay tuned towards the end of the episode and I'll go over a little bit more about um about fun um, kids' activities that we added even this week and um, all kinds of good stuff for the family. It's a good, great community day. Um, but today we are continuing our um, family health care series with Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, um, so I'm excited to dive in. Uh, we have Dr. Eileen Dolan today, who is a developmental pediatrician who practices at the Institute of for Child Development at Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital on the Hackensack University Medical Center campus. Uh, October is actually ADHD Awareness Month. Um, every October, it uh, raises an occasion to um, you know, raise awareness and support for those diagnosed with ADHD. We're, uh, we're chatting today with Dr. Dolan, um, with all uh, who practices at the Institute for Child Development, um, all things ADHD today. I have a lot of questions for you. Um, full transparency, my um, son who's now grown and actually just moved um, just moved out. He got his own place and he's in school and working full time. So um, the story does have a very happy ending, but he was diagnosed with ADD at the time. And I think it's changed a little bit now um, when he was in third grade officially. Um, but I uh, was the mom on that I don't remember what tutoring school it is. It's maybe like Huntington. I don't know. There's like a like a, a commercial that's run for like 20 years. I think it still runs sometimes. So they're like the mom is like complaining to another, not complaining, like 
like venting to another mom about the challenges that she's faced with her child who is not getting good grades in school. And they're like, I've gotten tutors. I've, I've um, grounded him and taken, you know, and that was totally me, like going through, um, you know, the challenges of having a child with ADD and the, my son never had really had the hyperactivity part. It was more the, um, just like the attention um, deficit and, and the lack of focus within settings that really didn't interest him, I'd say, is like when it was exacerbated. But um, he, you know, faced a lot of challenges in school and was never, he was not, he didn't love school, right? He wasn't the best student, um, but excelled in other areas in life. And um, it's funny because now, you know, he's he's moved on and is um, in college and working towards things that always interested him, which is, is um, which is funny. So, um when he was in third grade, he was diagnosed. Um, but I have a ton of questions for you. So thank you so much for joining. <laughs> it's, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, yeah. especially this month to really raise, up, raise awareness for ADHD. And, and the story you were telling is so common. We hear it all the time yeah. where parents come in and say, my child is daydreaming or not working hard enough. And you're trying tutors and you're trying everything. And yep. it's just, just um, you're not seeing progress. And and so it's important to, to know how to go about um, learning learning more about ADHD, getting a diagnosis, and, and finding out what services are available for children. Because it's not that they're not working hard. They're not lazy. It's not totally. that they're not trying. It's just they truly have more difficulty staying on task and staying focused. And with some supports, it can make a huge difference and and hopefully avoid the the, the path of not liking school or, or really struggling and, and, and kind of just making it more of an enjoyable experience for them and helping them to be more successful. Yeah. We were talking about a little bit before um, before the show about you know resources that I I would you know imagine are more prevalent now or more readily available. There's obviously a lot more information. Social media didn't exist kind of like when I was starting. It existed, but not like how it mm -hmm. is now. Um, and you know I would hope um, and imagine that there's a lot more available to parents. So um, let's start with what exactly ADHD is. What's sure. the definition? Absolutely. Is. So mm -hmm. attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's a very common disorder in childhood affecting about 9 to 10% of children and adolescents. And there are different types. So what used to be called ADD, so the, the ADD term is no longer used, but we have ADHD, primarily inattentive type, okay. where the child has trouble focusing, staying on task, and is easily distracted. Mm -hmm. um, then you have the hyperactive type, where the child is very active and impulsive. And then the most common is the combined type, where you're seeing signs of inattention and distractibility, as well as the fidgeting, increased movement. Movement, impulsive behaviors. So, so a lot of people still will say ADD, but but really it's the the predominantly inattentive type of ADHD, which is what you were, were describing for your son. Right. Okay. So, um, just a little bit of the, the background on you know kind of how we discovered that my son had. Um, you know, ADHD was when he was in third grade and we had been through, you know, a few years of elementary school already with like a lot of challenges that were met of, mm -hmm. you know, struggling to, to to just accomplish homework. And um, I could have, you know, by his senior year, it was a scripted email that I got from every single teacher every year. And it was, you know, um, uh, uh, just reaching out about um, your son. You know, he's a very nice um, student and he really doesn't get into any trouble. It's, it's mostly that um, he has a lot of uh, trouble focusing on his work and oftentimes find him staring out the window. It was literally like the same email. Mm -hmm. By his senior year, we had like IEPs, we had different modifications, all kinds of different, you know, we had instituted all kinds of things. We had tried medication, that tip, that was not for him. Um, but, um, but by the senior year, I was like, 
I think we just need to get him to <laughs> Thank you so much. But <laughs> it's like it has, you know, it's been it's been a whirlwind. And um, you know, I'm I'm glad that, you know, he's doing so well now. But um, but it was hard, you know, especially in those like middle school years when they're, you know, the work is getting harder and um you need that, you know, you want them to not excel within their own capability. And um, there was a lot of like, you know, nights that I stayed up worrying about, you know, what was going to happen because when kids feel defeated and they're not doing well, um, it almost comes becomes this vicious cycle and they don't have the confidence and that like, they don't think that they're capable um, because it's just been a, like a repetition of, you know, not good grades, right? Absolutely. Those middle school years can be really challenging because the demands are increasing and teachers are expecting more. And often children with ADHD really struggle with organizational skills and time management. We call those like executive functioning skills, kind of that higher level of planning and thinking. In middle school into high school, a lot more is expected for children. And often they may not naturally know how to manage that. But if if they have coaching and teaching and supports there, they can learn. It's just it just might take a little time to get on the right track. Right. So so um often again the, those middle school years are often when when more of those problems um, become apparent. So how is ADHD diagnosed now? Okay. So it's it's a clinical diagnosis and a lot based on history from from parents or caregivers and and from teachers. Um, so we often will hear stories of a child's not focusing, getting distracted, homework is taking five times <laughs> longer than it should, yeah. um, child staring out the window. So with if if the hyperactivity and impulsivity part is also there, the child might have difficulty sitting still in their seat, fidgeting, getting up to use the bathroom five times during class, and and so very often um, it might be first seen in in school age children, and teachers might be calling home. <laughs> Discussions on parent-teacher night often focus around that, and um, and we really try to gather all the information. So um, for some children who who have more of the hyperactive impulsive type, it may be, may be seen earlier. So even like younger children, preschool age, might be running around the classroom, not sitting through story time, and um, and the same thing. Often it's the teachers talking with the parents and, and figuring out next steps. So generally, it's good to go to the pediatrician okay. and talk to them about these concerns. And usually, there'll be some um, some forms to be filled out by both the teachers and the parents to get a better sense of the degree of the inattention and, and the hyperactivity. Everyone can have some signs of inattention or, or fidgety totally. behavior. Right. And it's normal at, at times to daydream and not stay on task. So it really is the degree to which it's happening and how much it's impacting their progress in school or outside of school. So if it's enough that in school it's causing difficulties with learning, the child's not progressing as much as they should, Mm -hmm. or sometimes it can lead to social difficulties. Some children who are a little more impulsive can be off-putting to other children, and it might be more of a struggle to connect to kids or in soccer if they're (laughs) they're just off picking flowers on the field instead of focusing (laughs) on the game. And again, during homework, really Mm -hmm. like struggling to get it done, even though many children are very capable of doing it, but just because of distractibility, they can't. So, so that's the degree where it's impacting their day-to-day life. So to, to diagnose ADHD, you need to see these symptoms in more than one environment. Okay. So usually it's in school mm-hmm. and then at home or in sports. So we get really detailed history on, on um, how the child is doing in multiple 
environments, and that helps with the diagnosis. And we also rule out other things okay. because there are many other things that can look like ADHD. So for example, anxiety is a big one. So a child who has anxiety and is very anxious may be sitting in school worrying about things. Is the teacher going to call on me or or I hope my mom's okay, or whatever is stressing them. It uh -huh. could be on their mind during school, and their mind is so full of worries that it's hard to pay attention. So it's not that they truly can't focus. It's just that they're too busy worrying. So we always do screening for anxiety as well, just to make sure we're not missing out on something else that could be leading to this attention problem. And then another issue that can often be mistaken is learning problems. So if a child has a learning disability and they're in class and may not be understanding what's being taught, and it was if I was in a class that's being taught in a different language, and I don't know what they're saying, I might start to fidget. I might look around and not focus. It's not because I can't focus. It's because I don't understand. So we often do some academic screening testing as well to make sure we're not missing out on a learning disability. Okay. Of course, it's possible to have ADHD and anxiety or ADHD and a learning disability, and it makes it more of a complicated um, procedure to diagnose it. Yeah. But, but we always want to make sure we're not missing out on other causes of attention issues. Okay. Now, ADHD, is it commonly, com is it more often combined with a learning disability or not always the case? So about a third of the a time, third. there is a comorbidity, not necessarily a learning disability, but either it could be a learning disability or anxiety um, or depression or oppositional behaviors. So, so about a third of the time, we say there's like a comorbid condition. Okay. Um, so you would go to the pediatrician. Um, uh, I know that there's like a test kind of that they take, or is that not the case anymore? Not necessarily. Oh, so I see. it's more based on like the questionnaires. There's different forms out there. The I one see. that we often use is called the Vanderbilt Assessment Scale. Yeah, right. So you're probably familiar yeah. with it. And and during for diagnosis as well as during treatment to follow progress. Mm -hmm. And it, and really is really focusing on on the signs of inattention, distractibility, as well as hyperactive and impulsive behaviors. Some some places will do some tests like looking at um, the ability. to to, to kind of stay focused on a task and inhibition, like not just jumping to give an answer. And right. so that might been, be the test that you're thinking of, okay. but generally it's not used for, for the diagnostic purpose. Okay. Um, what is the earliest age? So if you find that um, your child is showing symptoms of, you know, the things that we just described, what is like the, what is the earliest that you would diagnose ADHD? So it can really vary. Okay. And, and sometimes you could see signs very early. Mm -hmm. So even like little preschoolers who are very hyperactive and impulsive, you can see the signs there. Oh. I generally hold off on diagnosing until closer to kindergarten age, okay. um, or or many times they may come later. But but a lot of times, even if like a three or four-year-old is showing those signs, I generally, we talk about the possibility, we give strategies to manage some of those um, challenges, mm -hmm. but but there's so much maturity that happens between that age and kindergarten. So often I'll, I'll hold off on an official diagnosis unless there's concerns about safety. So if a child is so hyperactive that you're concerned about them staying safe, then we may go ahead and diagnose earlier. Otherwise, I'll wait till about kindergarten age and get updated questionnaires and and, and do assessments. And, and then around that time um, often is when we would officially give the diagnosis. Okay. So the diagnosis comes. And what are some next steps? Is it, you know, obviously you mentioned that there's different kinds and maybe you could explain a little bit more about that, but also, um, you know, what do you do next? So depending on the age. So for younger children, so let's say we see a, a kindergartner or a first grade student. Um, when, when children are younger, we want to try to get all those behavioral supports in place before thinking of other options. Uh -huh. So so for children who are in school, um, once a child has a medical diagnosis of ADHD, they can qualify 
for a 504 accommodation plan. So a 504 plan can be really helpful in setting up the environment to help the child be more successful. So the child's generally in the general education classroom, but they might have things such as preferential seating or seat breaks where they can get up and move around a little bit and then sit down again to stay focused. Um, Having the teacher clarify directions. So if they were distracted and don't know what to do in their work, the teacher can come over and just review the directions, help them get started on work, Mm -hmm. and then move away. For older kids, accommodations might be um, more specific to things like extended time for tests and assignments, um, giving pre-printed notes if the child struggles with taking notes due to distractibility, mm-hmm. um, maybe modified homework at times. But but for the little ones, it's a lot of just kind of giving them some extra support in the classroom. We also want to make sure there's extra support outside of school. <laughs> so often that could mean behavioral therapy. Yeah. So the therapist can work both with the child and with the, the parents mm-hmm. on, on how to manage some of the challenging behaviors. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, at that age, um, for, for younger children, so much behavior can really be shaped by how parents respond to behavior. And, and parents can learn how to set up the environment to help them be more successful. Mm-hmm. And the therapist can also work with the child on learning strategies to control some of their behaviors. Interesting. So for little ones, we start with that. Okay. Um, and if all that's happening and, and there's still struggle, and as a child's now advancing in school, let's say they're getting the 504 plans, they, they were working with the therapist and the parents as well, and there's structure both in school at home. And if there's still struggles, that's when we can think about the possibility of medication. Okay. For older kids, um, sometimes you could do both at the same time, depending on how much it's impacting them in school. So we never push medicine as a first as yeah. a first line treatment. And un- I understand a lot of parents are are concerned about starting medication. And so so definitely you want to make sure the accommodations are in place, behavioral supports are there, and also things like just healthy living, making sure the child's getting enough sleep, eating a healthy diet, getting exercise. All of those things play a big role in focus and attention. Absolutely. And um but at the same time, if the child's still struggling and really it's really inhibiting their learning or making it difficult for like socially for the child or behaviorally at home, then medication is definitely a strong option. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the medication because that was it, it was like on again, off again type of um, scenario. I was always I it made me nervous. Um, it made me nervous because some of the medications, I guess, are considered um like a tear, I forget. Yeah, controlled substance. Controlled substance, yeah. Um, And I I don't know if that's because they're addictive or because, um, I don't really know why. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know that, you know, in high school and even college, you hear about kids like selling their pills to other Mm -hmm. friends, you know, and knowing that um, that they have the the access to these different um, medications, right? And so that part always made me nervous because if I knew he was always on it and God only knows, so... um, I did, and also just having him on something that was a controlled substance, it just like, it didn't always sit well with me. And um, for him, he always felt like it just made him forget kind of like how he described it, but he just would always say that it didn't really help. And he kind of liked the way that he felt without, about, mm-hmm. like he felt without taking them. So we would try different ones. Um, and I think, to be honest, I never really saw a change in his grades. Um, but this is also, like I said, you know, 10, at least 10 years ago, um, where like we were kind of began all mm-hmm. of the, this, um, 
uh, on our journey. Um, but I think that, you know, there's probably been a lot more advancements in like how it's treated now. So can you speak to that a Absolutely, little bit? Absolutely. Yes. And, and I understand when, when families are concerned about starting medication yeah. because it, it's a big step right. and, and, um, I often try just to go through everything with the families so that way they they know what to expect if it comes to the point where they do want to start medication. Right. And and if a child is on medication, it doesn't mean it's lifelong. <laughs> so our goal is always to stop it and see if it's still needed. Right. And of course, if if a child is having side effects, then we always stop it. So we consider it a trial if we start something. Okay. So um, in terms of the controlled substances, so stimulant medications are the first line treatment for in medication wise for ADHD, and it's really stimulating the focus center of the brain. To to help you stay focused, stay on task, control control hyperactive and impulsive behaviors, and it's very effective. The nice thing about the medication, the stimulant medication, is that you see the effects very quickly. Right. So there's other types of medicine that you have to be on for two months before you know if it's working. This you'll know right away. Right. And the other nice thing about it is it's not building up in the system. So it's not lasting for weeks and weeks, like you give it in the morning and it lasts for so many hours and then it's gone. <laughs> so because of that, if there's a side effect or concern, you could stop it and then figure out what the next steps are. Okay. So um, so they're controlled substances, although they're not considered to be addictive medications for, for when we're treating our ADHD. Um, that our children with who have ADHD, um, they have the potential to be misused, which is why they're controlled. But when they're taken as prescribed, they're very safe medication and and they're not addictive. Okay. I know a lot of parents worry, well, will this lead them to drugs or alcohol use in the future? And and studies have shown no, it does not increase the the, the rate of um, drug abuse or alcohol use. And if anything, it, it doesn't change the incidence at all. And so, some studies actually have shown it reduces is the risk of, of turning to alcohol or drugs. Some children who are not treated for ADHD really struggle in school. Yeah. And sometimes as they get older, they may turn to, to substances um, kind of to self-medicate. And, and if they're being properly treated, there's um, some studies show there's less likelihood of that happening. So, so in ways, it could be very helpful. Okay. Um, so I wish we had, like, we could pinpoint this is the exact medication that's right for every child. Right. Unfortunately, we can't. So like your son, sometimes you might have to try a few different ones and see what works the best. Yeah. So the stimulants, again, are the ones we start with first, usually. And and they really should make a significant difference in focus and attention. Yeah. We always start at a lower dose. And sometimes we have to slowly increase to get the dose we want without seeing the side effects. And sometimes if there are side effects, we may have to stop the medication. And there are, are other options. There are non-stimulants, um, which which also can be helpful. They're a little different because those ones you they do build up in the system, and you might have to take it a few weeks to a month before you really see the full effects. Okay. So, um, so, so they can be very helpful. The biggest side effects, um, which are a big worry for families of the stimulant medication, is appetite suppression. Yeah. So, so when the child takes the medication, they may not be very hungry. Mm -hmm. So we closely follow weight um, and growth. We want to make sure the child's eating a good breakfast before taking the medicine because at lunchtime, they may not be very hungry. Mm -hmm. The appetite will come back in the late afternoon or evening when the medicine's worn off. And, and generally, a child grows just fine. But we do closely monitor that. And if there's issues, again, we may have to make some adjustments with the medication. Okay. Um, I actually recently bought a book that is sitting on my nightstand with a whole other list of books that I'd like to read because by the time I get to it, I usually just fall asleep. But um, it is not, I, I want to get to it. And it's um, about ADHD and diet and um, exercise and kind mm -hmm. of advancements that have been made about for the brain and how um, I think that there are certain foods that you can even eat to like help you um, 
you know, manage it. Um, so is that is that true? Is that something that, you yeah, know, has so changed? Somewhat. And there's always new research looking at yeah. that, too, because, of course, we all want to make sure, like, if, if we can do just, just um, like, change in diet and sleep, and if that makes a big difference, of course, we'd rather do that than going to medication. Right. So in terms of lifestyle, sleep is very important for ADHD. Okay. And we actually always will, will ask a lot about sleep because some children, if they have a lot of snoring or, or showing signs of sleep apnea, Apnea, we would recommend a sleep study because children with sleep apnea can present as having attention problems in school. Oh. So we want to make sure that that's ruled out before okay. just, again, jumping to, to oh, it's because of ADHD. Um, and, and a healthy diet is important, too. Um, limiting processed foods as much as possible. Um, kind of fresh, healthy eating is, is good for so many things, including ADHD. Um, there were some studies years ago, and there was... Back in like the 70s and 80s, there was a specific diet that was looking at eliminating food dyes. And um, oh, that yes. was very popular then. Right. <laughs> it was called the Feingold diet. Yeah. Um, that is not recommended generally. So there are some children, some some people that that are very sensitive to dyes. And, and if they take red dye in, they, they may be more, more hyperactive or more impulsive or less focused. However, it's a very small percentage of the population. So we don't generally recommend having to eliminate that from, from the diet because most people are not affected that way. However, if you notice that your child is, if you give them something with dyes in it and, and you notice that they are more inattentive or they're really active after taking it, then it's worth a trial of cutting back on that to see it because it, it, it could affect them. But again, most people don't have that, that response response to it. Um, when they've looked at supplements, the one that has shown the, the, um, the most most help for attention and focus are the fish oils, so the omega-3. <gasps> right. So, yep. so that's something that, again, if you can get it in your diet, that's great. A lot of kids aren't eating fish. <laughs> and, totally. and so salmon's not always on the, on the most popular list for children. If it is, that's great. You can get it through the diet. But if not, there are supplements out there. There are some gummy versions that, that children can take. And really to mimic like a Mediterranean diet where, where you might have like fish maybe three times a week. So, yeah. so you could do like gummies in that, in that fashion as well. So it's not necessarily something you have to do every day. But there is some evidence showing that the fish oils can be helpful for, for attention and focus. So there's data that has shown that there's been a, like a uh, the the treatment is is better like combined with medication and, and a yes. healthy diet. Yeah. Yes, that, that alone doesn't make all the difference, but uh -huh. that combined with supports in school, supports at home, yeah. and and um, structure and, and the possibility of medication combined, okay. it's really kind of just some kind of just hitting things from every angle and just just helping every little bit can make a big difference in in the long term. Have you found that parents um, that have maybe started treating this earlier than later and have that those like fundamentals kind of built in from a younger age in terms of modifications within the classroom and behavioral um, therapies versus someone that maybe, you know, didn't even realize that their child was struggling or maybe they were struggling a little bit, but then like we said earlier in, in middle school, they get to, you know, a bit more advanced um, uh, you know, um, curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they are treated. And so the reason I'm asking is because um, I read a book actually when my son was in high school called, I think it's called He's Not Lazy. And it's about, uh, I forget the author, but it was a good book. And it was about boys in high school and, you know, four different, it was like four different pillars as to why, you know, they may um, not be excelling or had been excelling. And then you kind mm -hmm. of have like, see this big turnaround. So not, not specifically about ADHD, um, but boys in general and how, you know, they're not 
they're not choosing to not do well, right? Exactly. Right. Um, and that's the kind of, that's the concept that you really have to understand because, uh, you know, I was raised in, um, like, you know, if we got like anything under a 90, it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't even want to see my mom. I was like terrified. Um, and having that way of being brought up, I kind of also was doing that with my son and that never worked because mm-hmm. that wasn't him. And that wasn't something that was realistic, I guess. Yes. Um, and coming to terms with that, like took a long time, right? So not only were, um, you know, was it fr- like a, a frustrating road for both him and and me, obviously to, you know, not see him, you know, thinking that he was, um, you know, that I, his capabilities, I think, was was hard to kind of like come to terms with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this constant struggle of you can do more, but then you you know perhaps using ADHD as a crutch um, and saying no, I can't because I can't pay attention, right? Um, so there's a lot of different like factors into like how it all evolved, but I think that had more fundamentals been built early on, we may have had like a bet a better. Um, experience, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I think you're correct. So so if it's identified early on, especially yeah. if the child's struggling. So and 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 they start getting the reputation of that's that's the bad kid in school totally. or yeah. or, mm-hmm. or they're not making progress academically, but not because they can't, but because of the focusing issue, then maybe like there's less expectations late in the next year around that the child's oh, they're not one of the gifted children in the class. And, yeah. and so by by identifying ADHD early on, it helps everyone understand the child better. So both at home, so your expectations and the support that you can give the child. And also for teachers. So to know that, oh, he's not lazy. It's just that he's distracted. And and with the 504 plan, we can help him get back on track and then hopefully meet his potential. Also, the child can start learning strategies to to stay on task, to stay organized, time management strategies. And, And those are tough things. And again, it's not that the child can't do it. It's just it may not come as naturally to a child with ADHD. So we want to make sure that the 504 plan includes strategies to to progress in those areas. So if they're taught at a young age how to stay organized, so maybe labeling folders, color coding subjects, having having bins at home which are labeled for belongings so it's not just clutter everywhere. And and if a child starts at a a young age, it becomes a habit and, and they're able to kind of keep up with that better as opposed to starting to learn these organizational strategies in high school or, or totally. in college. Right. So absolutely that can help. There are some children that it may not be as apparent that they have ADHD until later on as the demands increase. So maybe they were able to keep up early on, but now we're in middle school and we're changing classes and we have multiple assignments from different teachers and all of a sudden it's hard to keep up. So there's absolutely still a lot of hope for those kids too. So, so even if they didn't get the diagnosis early on and and start those strategies early on, they absolutely still can learn those and and make progress. But again, we want to make sure the 504 plan includes all of those things. So not just the the extended time is very important, preferential seating is very important, but also instruction on how to stay organized, how to remember what, what test is on what day and what paper is due when and and really kind of breaking it down and helping the child learn let me just work on this over the next few weeks instead of procrastinating and and doing a big report the night before it's due so all of those things really need to be taught mm-hmm. and with that instruction which can be included in the 504 plan we can see a lot of success okay um, let's talk about the 504 plan for a minute because um, in my experience I 
we lived in a district where um, I had a lot of advocacy and support within the IEP plan each year. So I was lucky. Mm -hmm. But I have heard, you know, and you read on different parent groups that there's a lot of frustrations depending on the district that they live in. And I guess the, um, you know, just the resources that are available mm -hmm. to them and what um, modifications are available to the child and what is given to them and what, you know, the parents are, you know, maybe consistently fighting for. I think that that is something that, um, you know, it, it, I think it varies mm -hmm. from yes, town absolutely. to town. Absolutely. Um, so what, um, so, you know, for instance, my son was, um, uh, was lucky enough to actually have an extra teacher in the class. And oftentimes where, um, they, you know, if the t one teacher was teaching the class, they actually had another person in the class that was kind of helping him to stay on task and like keep, you know, making sure yes. that he was mm -hmm. understanding the material, but that's not always the case in every area. Mm -hmm. Um, so what resources are available to, to parents? What would you say to, you know, to those who are maybe getting the diagnosis and also the 504 plan um, and then meeting like with the, I guess it's the IEP. It was IEP for us. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's the same term in every area, but, um, you know, these different modifications that can be made and, um, you know, what, how do you envision most parents to ideally go through this? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and, and you're right. Like yeah. every district is different. Right. And, and again, like teachers and then. And, and principals, they, they want what's best for a child, but there may be different funds available right. in different districts. Yeah. And unfortunately, it may not always be equal from, from town to town. So, so generally, once a child has an ADHD diagnosis, they can qualify for a 504 accommodation plan. Mm -hmm. It's different than an IEP. So we could talk about that in a little right. bit. So a 504 plan is, is based on the medical diagnosis. So, so basically, once they're diagnosed, they would have um, the doctor would write a letter or, or share the report from, from the visit. And then the parents would bring it to the school to request this 504 accommodation plan. Plan. And it's good to have a written plan because a lot of teachers will do a lot of the things that go into the 504 plan. Mm -hmm. We'll help the child um, like sit up close and try to clarify directions. But but it's by having a written plan, if there's a substitute teacher or if there's a teacher that might not be as flexible with, with seating and things like that, right. it's good that it's all written down. And then as um, as a child gets older, for the things like extended time, yeah, like those one. are things yeah. that, that are officially in there and may not be given just just um, to help out the child unless it's officially written down. Yeah. So so generally, um, the 504 plan should should move smoothly <laughs> as long as you have that letter from, um, from the doctor um, recommending the 504 plan. And that should continue. The 504 plan can change year to year. So it's really based on what the child's needs are at the time. So so what worked this year may not be the same for next year. So it's important to get feedback from the teachers, um, from the child and, and the parent. And they all should meet together to determine like what should go in this plan to, to make it be a successful year mm -hmm. each year. So if the child has um, the 504 plan and, and they're getting that support, but they're still really struggling and they need a higher level of support, the next step would be to look for an IEP. So an IEP is an individualized education plan, and it's a bigger process to get. So to get an IEP, um, the child will go through um, testing through the school district. So it's usually the child study team. They'll do psychological and educational testing, sometimes speech and language testing, again, depending on, on the child's age and what the needs are. And to get an IEP, there's specific classifications that need to be met. So for some children, when they do that testing, if they if they can 
if they find that there's specific learning problems, there may be a learning disability and a child can get an IEP for that. Mm -hmm. It could be under communication impairment. Children with autism can get an IEP under that classification. So there's no specific classification for ADHD. Mm -hmm. However, there's one called other health impaired or OHI, which, which some parents may recognize on the IEPs. So, so if they do all the testing and the child scores within the average range or higher on that testing and they don't qualify for an IEP because of a learning problem or a communication problem, but their needs are, are significant due to their inattention, they could get that IEP with the OHI, Other Health Impaired Classification. So it's more of a detailed document. For an IEP, you probably remember making goals every year and then and then every year kind of figuring out, did the child meet their goals? And they list the steps of how they'll get there. Right. If the child doesn't meet the goals, well, why not? What do we need to add in to make sure they do? So so it's it's definitely um, a more detailed document and, and, and that like that next level up. Most children would probably would start off with the 504 plan, and many times that's where it stays. <laughs> but again, if, if with the 504 plan, the child still needs more support, the IEP would be where to look for. And again, it's a little harder to, to move forward with that process. So it's really important to know to request an IEP. You would re The family has to give written uh, written request. It can be brought to the principal or to the, um, the Board of Education in their district, okay. and that you're requesting uh, an evaluation um, to see if he if your child um, qualifies for an IEP. I always say it's good to keep your paper trail because, again, so many districts are wonderful and move uh -huh. forward with it. But, but sometimes things can fall through the cracks or some districts may not be as open to moving forward with testing. So when, when the letter is turned in, you have 90 days for the school to meet with you to do the testing and or at least to determine if testing is done. Yep. And if, if it's decided that, yes, testing is warranted, there's 90 days for that to all be completed. And we want to make sure things keep moving. So, so I always recommend when, when families go and, and bring the, the letter to the Board of Education or to the school that they ask to have it signed and dated and, and get a copy in return. So that way they can keep records of when the request first went in because otherwise it could, could drag on and on and it really needs to be done within 90 days. Yeah. The family, the school has to meet with the family if they request this child study team evaluation. Yeah. However, testing doesn't necessarily have to be done. So if the, the, the child study team meets with the family and it's determined that, no, the child's doing well in school, we don't need, we don't need to do this testing, sometimes it, it can stop there. But, but again, if you bring all the evidence with you, like these are the emails I'm getting every day from the teacher. <laughs> this, these are the test scores that my child is getting, which is not at the level where, where he's capable of, then, then, then often they'll move to the next step and do the full testing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest piece for us, at least, was the extra time on um, testing. And you're, you know, you're talking about having a paper trail and just like making sure that each teacher, right, is aware of the with that's within the plan mm -hmm. because that extra time, um, like, really kind of would make or break sometimes, like how well he, you know, tested uh, uh, on uh, you mm -hmm. know quizzes and tests and. Um, I think so often with an ADHD diagnosis with, um, uh, or at least for some, at least for us, that you, that confidence level is like, it, there's a lot of anxiety around testing, like mm -hmm. a lot. Um, standardized testing, just regular testing, quizzes, because it's just this constant like stress, right, of like around how you're performing. Yes. Um, and it becomes like, 
bigger than life, or at least that was kind of my mm-hmm. experience. So just like the grade, the grade, the grade, right? Yes. Um, and that, so like having a little bit more like leeway and knowing that like, you know, you have a little bit more time to um, to finish and think it through was really valuable to us. And that's kind of, I, I would, you know, definitely advocate at least for that. Yes, for, for I, many. Agree. <laughs> I agree. And when in the younger grades, when the child has one teacher, then the teacher knows the 504 plan inside and out and, and things will happen. Right. As you're getting into middle school and high school, where you have eight different exactly. teachers, yeah. then it, then it's important to just remind them that that, <laughs> that that my child has this plan. So so I mean they they should all know and they're given the documents. But again, they they have eight different classes of students, and and sometimes it it could be it could just fall through the cracks. Yeah. So so I'd say like parent teacher night, making sure to remind them that 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 your child has a five hundred four plan. We also want children to to learn to advocate for themselves. So so in high school, we want to make sure the child also feels comfortable going up to the teacher and saying, "Oh, I have a five hundred four plan. I didn't finish my test. I'd like to." to set up a time to come finish it later. Yeah. Um, so, so of course, we always encourage parents to, to back that up and, and to reach out ahead of time, but also encouraging the students themselves to, to really kind of advocate for their needs. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a little bit before about the possibility of some children and parents be participating in behavioral therapy, um, either maybe in a group setting or um, or you know just the child, and also an upcoming ADHD um, resource fair happening um, this month in October for um, ADHD Awareness Month. And um, I'd assume that there are resources available um, to New Jersey. Um, uh, families, um, can you speak to a little bit about like what is available outside of the IEP, outside of um, you know uh, going to your pediatrician, um, you know books to read, just kind of you know things, especially for the parents to just kind of like fully you know understand what is out there and what can help them get through um, you know what can be a challenging uh, journey. <laughs> sure, sure. So for younger children, um, again, it's like like preschool, kindergarten age. So so for the children that have more of that hyperactivity and impulsivity, sometimes it can be very challenging. Yeah. Both for safety concerns, um, it could be hard to, to, to go shopping with a child because they're running off. And, and so there could be a lot of um, challenges for parents at that age. Yeah. So that's when behavior therapy really can make a huge difference. There's a few different types of behavioral therapy that have been like evidence-based and the American Academy of Pediatrics really, really promotes. Um, one of them is called Triple P, which stands for positive positive parenting program. And it really is working with parents on, on how to, to manage these challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. Because again, parents do do the typical things that, that often work. But if it's not working with, with uh, one of your children, and, and sometimes it's really nice to be able to work with someone else that has seen some of these challenging behaviors and and, and can teach some tricks and strategies to manage that. So, so again, Triple P is one that's really great. And, and they, they are offered um, both individually, but many times in groups where it's parent groups that the triple P um, providers will work with a group and then give some individual attention to each family. Um, the triple P website, you could check out, just Google that and, yeah. and, and search for providers in the area. Um, if you can't find one or if just time is so challenging for families with, with so many activities. They also have a very nice um, type, nice modules that you could sign up for a year and do the modules on your own time and oh. going through different strategies. 
One of the other um, behavioral therapy um, programs is called PCIT, which is Parent-Child Interactive Therapy. So for children with more significant behavioral challenges, and again, this is little ones up to probably age seven or so, it really works individually with with parent and a child in in strengthening their relationship Mm -hmm. and then in working on overcoming the challenging situation. So, So PCIT is another great one. Not always easy to find. So so sometimes they're just behavioral therapy. It might not have a specific title, but which is also very, very helpful. Okay. So often parents can call like call or look on the website of their insurance company and look for and ask for names of providers who um, who do behavioral therapy with with children and their parents. Um, okay. As the child gets older, again, if there's comorbid conditions like anxiety or depression, working with a counselor on, on those strategies can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a specific type of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, which is another evidence-based treatment for anxiety and depression and can be helpful for children and adults. Um, also, in the past few years, something new has been been much more popular called um, ADHD coaches or executive functioning coaches. Oh, wow. And, and those are professionals who work with the students on, on those executive functioning or higher level planning skills. So okay. learning how to stay organized. Let's get this planner out and figure out what assignments are, are due in the coming weeks. And let's figure out how we could break it down and, and do it over time and, and teaching study skills. And, and all of those things can be really helpful. Oh, that's and especially as a child's getting older and like ready to go off to college, like, it's great if they have these strategies now so they mm-hmm. could be successful um, in the future, whether it be college or jobs or just in life in general. Do you mm-hmm. find that many um, ADHD patients have tutors? Many do. Many do. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, many. So children with ADHD are really across the spectrum in right. terms of their academic success. Right. Some some do amazing at school, may not need teachers, but probably still could benefit from that organizational piece. Right. Some children might have learning disabilities and, and can do well with both the school supports as well as outside tutoring. So okay. so it really varies on the child's needs. But but in general, those executive functioning skills are an area that are really difficult for most, most individuals with ADHD. Right. Okay. Um, all of this has been so incredibly helpful. Um, I will say uh, we'll, we'll get to where everyone can find you and we'll also give some information about the ADHD fair. Um, but, uh, you know, really want to highlight, I'll highlight also the, the links that you mentioned too in the text of the podcast. So um, moms can check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, you know, just from my own experience, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, um, but if you are struggling and really you know, worried and concerned about your child, you know, not even being able to get into college because they're just, you know, like really not excelling and it's just been hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think so many parents go through it and I, it's isolating. You know, I didn't really know anyone else who was going through it and I was a younger mom and it was just, I wanted the best for him. And um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and even the difference between 16 and my son will be 20 soon. Um, and he's doing so well, like beyond my expectations. Um, not that I didn't have high expectations for him, but, you know, the difference between a 16-year-old boy and someone that is in their second year of, of college, um, he actually gra- he graduated high school, electively went and, and signed himself up for, for school, um, got his own loans because I said, you know, maybe I don't think, I don't know if we're going to do a college with you because this has been very traumatic. And he said, no, I want to. And I said, okay, but I'm not taking out loans for you to <laughs> fail. Um <laughs> 
it. He said, okay, well, then I'll take them. And he went and he was, you know, going to school full. And now he has a full-time job. He's going to school full-time. He got his own place. Um, oh, and, uh, you know, he's living with his girlfriend and like really being, a, you know, very responsible and um, and just, you know, uh, really going after his dreams and the, all of those worry, you know, those nights of sitting up and, you know, just trying to be an advocate for your child and them maybe not so much, you know, you're kind of mm -hmm. not seeing that drive because they're just, they feel defeated. Um, there is hope and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that your kid is not going to do anything, you know, with their life or they're not going to, you know, they're going to turn to, you know, drugs or whatever, you know, all the things that you're always constantly worried about with your kids. So, um, for those that are like worried out there that there is hope and hopefully, you know, there's great resources that you can take advantage of that I didn't even have access to or knew about. So <laughs> no, it's so great to hear such yeah. a success story. Yeah. So, so I'm yeah. so happy things worked out well for him and, and, and the patients we see, we see the same thing. And, and also it's important to know that that 504 plan can also be offered in college. So, oh. so college students can yeah. get those accommodations as well. So, so um, the extended time or, right. or kind of more meetings with their professors to, to help them get through the, the classes. So, so it's something that can carry on. And, and, and I'm so happy to hear how, how success successful he's been. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, where can everyone find you to set up an appointment to um, attend the, the resource fair? Yeah, so I'm at the Institute for Child Development at um, Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital mm -hmm. in Hackensack, and we're hosting an ADHD resource fair on Tuesday, October 24th. It's at the Hackensack Meridian Fitness and Wellness Center in Maywood, and it's from 4.30 to 7 p.m. on October 24th. We have a lot of vendors from the community uh, to, to distribute information about support behavioral therapy, um, coaches. Uh, we have a few colleges coming to talk about accommodations offered there. Oh, wow. A driving school to talk about safe driving with ADHD. Um, some some um, fitness um, centers talking about exercise and yeah. how that can help with ADHD. So it should be a great event. It's it's free and, and um, hopefully you'll walk away with a whole bunch of information and other resources to get connected. A few other great resources. Um, CHAD, which is Children and Adults with ADHD. Um, chadd.org is their website has great information as well as um, Attitude Magazine but it's ADD is okay. Attitude Magazine they have some really nice webinars so if families are interested in um, just kind of scrolling through their sites and looking on about uh, lectures or, or handouts on, on ADHD it's another great resource okay and Chad um, so I guess um, has information for adults with ADD, ADHD Absolutely. as well so mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting I'll have to check that out uh, well thank you so much for coming on. This has been um, great. And, you know, I'm so glad that we can continue to spread the, wor the word for, um, for parents that are uh, about to, you know, kind of head down this journey or maybe just in the thick of it and, and need like a course correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah. again, it's great for parents to hear success stories and to know if they're in the beginning of this journey that, that things really can work out and, yeah. and kind of just know the next steps to take to help their child reach their potential. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, coming up, we have our... Um, um, fall festival on Sunday, October 22nd, which is um, two weeks, a little bit more than two weeks away today when this airs, it's probably going to be a little bit less than that. But um, come down, uh, we'll have, um, Hackensack Meridian is actually going to have a um, ambulance as part of our touch a truck. So we have our outdoor touch a truck, which um, new trucks added this year, our kids zone, we have magicians, we have um, uh, tinsel, the kids can put tinsel in their hair. We have um Miss Melissa's Aardvarks is coming. So she's doing um, a whole uh, song and um, 
uh, show for the kids. Um, we have balloon artists, uh, face painters. We also have 80 plus vendors. So you can come shop early for the holidays because before you know it, it's going to be Christmas. <laughs> um, we have food and Barbella is going to be open with some fun cocktails. So you can um, sit and the dads can just hang out and <laughs> grab a drink um, and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. It's a great community day. I'm super excited. I can't believe it's almost here. Um, and we, uh, and you can register on Eventbrite. It's a free event, um, but uh, just register so we know how many people are coming, how much stuff to make. <laughs> um, so we'll see you there. And as always, make sure to check out our site for all kinds of fun events happening throughout the community. We have our fall fun guide, so a list of where to go pumpkin picking and um, different farms to visit this fall and all kinds of uh, even indoor um, activities if it's raining because it's always raining now. <laughs> and um, uh, we also have our holiday fun guide coming up, so check for that. We have our catering guide coming out, so um, we're to order all of your sides and mains for Thanksgiving and Christmas um, and all the holiday parties and everything in between. Um, that's coming out soon, so always check our list and guide section and um, different resources that we have available on themammothmoms.com. So thank you so much, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you soon.